welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. In our last podcast, we saw that the Baptists, both in England and New England, were interested in the war with England with the hopes that it would go toward liberty of conscience in worship, not only in the New World, but also in the Old. Furthermore, we found that the Baptist, Isaac Bacchus, was central in this struggle. Some today may think that this study is a waste of time in searching the past and validating the influence of the Baptist in securing this freedom and that it is not relative to today. I can assure you that the connection of civil government and its role with religious worship and the freedom to worship according to one's conscience is vital today. In fact, in some ways it may be even more essential today than in the early days of our country. While there were restrictions regarding worship in the colonies of North America, and particularly in the New England states, those limits were the results of the Protestant and the theology of the Reformers that they adapted from the Catholics. Though wrongly interpreted, those rules and laws were ostensibly from the premise of the Word of God. It is little known that the problem is that the idea of civil government regulating the worship of God outside of the Old Testament theonomy is pagan philosophy. In an earlier podcast, we quoted from Leonard Verdwine's The Anatomy of the Hybrid and the influence of the Roman philosopher Seneca upon Calvin informing his views of civil government used to exercise discipline upon heretics. Before Seneca, we find that Plato, too, believed that civil government should dictate the worship of the citizens. Listen as we read from Book 10 of Plato's Laws. Quote, no man shall have religious services in his house, but he shall go with his friends to pray and sacrifice in the temples. The reason of this is that religious institutions can only be framed by a great intelligence. But women and weak men are always consecrating the event of the moment. They are under the influence of dreams and apparitions, and they build altars and temples in every village and in many places where they have had a vision. The law is designed to prevent this, and also to deter men from attempting to perpetuate the gods by secret sacrifices which only multiply their sins. Therefore, let the law run. No one shall have private religious rights, and if a man or woman who has not been previously noted for any impiety offend in this way, let them be admonished to remove their rights to a public temple. But if the offender be one of the obstinate sort, 
he shall be brought to trial before the guardians, and if he be found guilty, let him die. By this we see that the intelligentsia of the state is only smart enough to know what is to be worshipped and how it is to be instituted. Unless worship is in conformity to the state, civil government, then the offender is to be brought to trial, and if he be found guilty, let him die. But what has all of this to do with our society today, it may be asked? It is answered much in every way. Little does the public know that our modern educational system in America, as outlined by John Dewey, is based on the Prussian educational philosophy, and it was founded on the philosophy of Plato. Plato also believed that the children belonged to the state and that they were to be educated for it. The Word of God teaches that the children belong to the parents, and parents are to teach the children according to the Scriptures. See Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Obviously, we cannot go into great details to show the development of our educational system, but we will give a few quotes for verification. To do this, we will quote from Russus J. Rushduni's book, The Messianic Character of American Education. On page 15, he wrote, quote, For the Greeks, authority came from polis, not from God. End of quote. The meaning of polis is a city-state in ancient Greece, especially to consider in its ideal form for philosophical purposes. The quotes from Rushduni are as follows. Quote, Both Plato and Aristotle had a deep insight into the meaning of man's social and institutional life. To live together with one's fellows in a community involves fitness so to live. This fitness, in turn, implies discipline, instruction, training, that is, education. The highest type of individual life is found in community life. Ethics passes into or includes politics, and the education of the individual is education for the state. Man is not only a social animal, he is a statist animal. Being continuous with all reality, he has no continuity with the masses and no law to live by in terms beyond that commonly and continually. Hence, the education of the individual is education for the state. Man in evolution, unlike man created in the image of God, has no element of transcendence and no law beyond commonality. He is continuous with his fellow men, and that continuity is best fulfilled in democracy, which is man's completion. John Dewey indeed spoke of the necessity for the participation of every mature being in formation for the values that regulate the living of men together which is necessary from the standpoint 
of both the general social welfare and the full development of human beings as individuals, and called this the keynote of democracy as a way of life. Thus, men must play gods to become truly human. But for Dewey, democracy is the truly human way of living, and the foundation of democracy is faith in the capacities of human nature. Man is a social animal, and education is into society, and the heart of the societal of man is in education. To move forward in this faith will produce a fuller and deeper religion, possibly manifest already in the decay of the older forms and the spiritual import of science and of democracy, will lead to that type of religion which will be the fine flower of the modern spirit's achievement. From the continuity through democracy, and its established church, the state school, we arrive at Dewey's governmental presupposition, the great community, the secular version of the New Jerusalem. Clark, that is, Gordon H. Clark, from his book entitled Dewey, I'm still quoting Rush Dooney, Clark has observed of Dewey's concepts of ethics and state. The state can do no wrong, for right is determined by what the state does. Hegel had held that the state is the actuality of the ethical idea. In and by itself, the ethical whole, the actualization of freedom, mind on earth, the march of God in the world, the actual God, and the manifestation of history. For Hegel, these things came to focus in the Prussian state. Dewey, holding the same faith, more modestly than Hegel and Marx, saw this actual God, as yet in the future but drawing near to his great community. At present, because it is unborn or at best shadowy, the public will remain in eclipse. Man will not be truly man until this actual God, the great community, is born. Man is not created in the image of God, but of society, and therefore as yet is not fully man. It is no wonder that even a non-Christian such as Bernard Russell has seen in Dewey's philosophy a cosmic impiety which increases the danger of vast social disaster. For Dewey, the seer of the great community was Walt Whitman, and democracy is a name for a life of free and enriching communion. Dewey's influence on contemporary life and thought has been extensive in religion, philosophy, and other areas but chiefly in education and jurisprudence. The Supreme Court in particular has long reflected his influence with a devastating cynicism of all categories of faith and life 
other than the omnipotent state, which has been exalted and furthered with unrelenting force. It is questionable whether liberty can long survive under a continued onslaught of dewism. That's the end of the lengthy quote from Rush Dooney from pages 120, 158 through 159, 160, and 161. Again, it may be asked, what does all this have to do with today? Again, I say much in every way. Recently, Thomas Griffith, a recent retired Court of Appeals judge, testified before the U.S. Senate in support of Amy Coney Barrett as follows. Here is Griffith's quote. In taking the oath, the judge makes a solemn promise with God as witness that when acting as a judge, she will be a different person than when she's not acting as a judge. Robert Boat's portrayal of Thomas More in A Man for All Season captures this point simply and powerfully. What is an oath? More asked, but words we speak to God. In other words, for a person of faith, the judicial oath is a promise to the nation and to God that she will not do one thing her secular critics most fear, reach for outcomes based on her religious worldview. When wearing the robe, there is no conflict between following God and Caesar. It is Caesar all the way down. This came from a quote from Chuck Baldwin's newsletter, October the 22nd, 2020, entitled, For Whom Will I Vote? In the words of Baldwin, So, in the world of Barrett and Griffith, anyone who takes a governmental oath, judge, sheriff, police officer, mayor, county commissioner, governor, legislature, etc., is obliged to deny God's revealed law and one's own moral conscience to be a slave of Caesar. That's the end of quote from Bowen. This should be sufficient to show that this issue of the Christian and civil government is as vital and essential as in the founding of the laws of our country, that the educational system was forced on the people to indoctrinate our children from the earliest age of this pagan Catholic Reformed ideology, and it has turned our nation into what it is today. Ideally, this lesson should have been published months ago, but we trust it will be beneficial to show why we are in our current state. The Lord willing, we will return to the establishing of the First Amendment as seen in the life of Isaac Bacchus in our next podcast. Farewell for now, and may God be pleased to grant us mercy to worship Him in all freedom. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard, or just want to let us know you're listening? 
visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.